0: and where they set up an altar for human sacrifice of children and we get the reason why they've gotten so far off track in 2nd Kings 22 it says when Josiah becomes king he sends the priest to clean out the temple and they are starting to clean the temple and there it says that the priest found the book of the covenant Stop and let that sink in for a minute. It says the priests, the professional religious leaders found the book of the covenant. They found the Bible. Anybody wondering like how in the world they lost the Bible? Like, How did you lose it? You have one job. Keep this in the ark and keep it safe. Memorize it, copy it, preserve it. They lost it. They had to find it again. And so Josiah, the priest finds it, brings it to Josiah. Josiah reads it. He's cut to the heart and he starts to see this, not as a book of rules, but as a book of promise, a book of covenant. And so he calls it the whole time, the book of God's covenant to us. And so he immediately personally responds repents of the way he's been leading the country and he calls the whole country together and he reads them the entire book. He reads them the whole book of God's covenant faithfulness and promises to them and the ways that God asks us to live and to worship. And the whole country repents and they destroy their idols and they cast it down and the whole country sees this revival, this renewal that is far beyond anything anybody has ever seen since King David and even goes further because it says that they celebrated the Passover. They remembered that they are a people, that they exist, that their salvation depended on God's deliverance and it says the whole people committed to following God with all their heart and all their soul. That revival there then sets in motion it prepares the people to have the faith that will be shaken when they go into the Babylonian captivity in just a generation. These people and their children will be carried off as slaves. And just before they do, God makes sure they have the Bible. Fast forward 2,000 years to the uh, 15th century and 16th century And the church is back in a place similar. Jesus, having died, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, leaves the church in the hands of his apostles to go and make disciples of all nations. And they do, and they spread out, and they start making disciples. But over the generations, the rulers of the church Some are good and some are bad. And it becomes overwhelmingly bad. Some genuinely love Jesus and want to shepherd his church. Others are um, pursued away, they're lured away by prosperity or by uh, the possibility of worldwide power. And we get to this point in the 1400s and 1500s uh, where idolatry is the rule, where worship has been perverted. And there comes this moment where the Pope needs to build a church or he really just wants to build a church, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And he doesn't have any money. And so what does he do? He starts to sell these things called indulgences. And for the sake of brevity, you can think of an an indulgence like this. Uh, We're doing a capital campaign right now. We're trying to completely abolish the mortgage on this property. And instead of asking you to give money to that, I could just stand up here and say, for $10,000, I will guarantee your salvation. And for $20,000, I guarantee you and your mama. For $30,000, I'll get you, your mama, and your daddy and that's what happens. It's, uh, indulgence is basically a get-out-of-purgatory-free card. Uh, you, some of you don't know what purgatory is, we're going to cover that in about four weeks. Uh, it's okay, I'll get you there in a while. And so they start to sell these and raise money, and a man named Martin Luther, who is a Bible professor at Wittenberg, who's been reading the Bible and realizes that salvation is by grace alone, comes and he uh, starts to protest these sales using the 95 Theses these 95 uh, arguments against the cell of indulgences. And for doing so, for attacking church practice, he gets excommunicated and he's summoned, he's subpoenaed to a church court where he will be tried. And there uh, at his trial, uh, they put all his books on a table. And we have this recorded that they put all of his books on the table and they ask him, did you write these books? And he says, yeah, I wrote them. And they say, um, they ask him to recant every one of them or die. And Luther says, I need some time to think about it. And he goes home, and he prays, and he spends the night, and he comes back the next day, and this is what he says. He says, quote, "...unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for, to, or against conscience." for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. He says, show me I'm wrong using the Bible, but unless you can, I will not recant because I will not go against God's word or my conscience. Neither is safe. God help me. Amen. And he leaves the negotiating room and he leaves that subpoena because he's been given um, a safe passage to and from. And on his way home, he gets kidnapped by a by a, a ruler who really likes them, And that ruler does what you do to all your good friends. He locks them in a castle tower to keep Martin Luther safe. So Martin Luther, trapped in the tower, if he leaves the tower, the king can't keep him alive. One of the king's servants might kill him. So Luther, trapped up in the tower like Rapunzel, has to pass his days. And so what does he immediately get start doing it, but reading and writing? And the second thing he writes is a German translation of the New Testament. He sits down and he translates um, from the Greek the New Testament into High German. It's uh, roughly the equivalent of like the King James Version, but in German. And he writes this translation and he immediately sends it uh, to a printing press. Thanks to technology at that day you had a printing press he wasn't the first uh, to translate the bible but he does put it in the hands of the people and because he has it in the hands of the people and because he can leverage a printing press his movement is able to do something no other bible translation movement has ever done Luther wasn't the first to translate the Bible into the vernacular. Before Martin Luther, uh, there were people who translated it into, into Spanish, people who translated into uh, Syrian, people who translated into Russian, Belarussian, um, people who translated into Coptic, uh, people translated the Bible, but they were always doing it by hand. And so they could always find that copy of the Bible, kill the people who made it and burn the Bible. But when the printing press came, they could run thousands of these things. And so the people get it and they move and it literally changes the world. It changes everything about your experience. Um, People uh, start to read the Bible for themselves. They start to understand it. um, And they move uh, to this place where they they will live and die for this book. Hundreds and thousands of people were killed so that you could have the Bible in the pew so that you could have God's word in the language that you understand, that you could trust its reliability. In the United States, hundreds of people were killed for teaching slaves to read because slave masters knew at their gut, if slaves read this book, it would upend the sinful system of the world. In fact, the only reason most of you know how to read at all today is because of Luther's Bible translation. You see, when they put the Bible into German, you then have to teach people how to read. And so to teach people how to read, you have to build schools. And so in the American context, um, where farming was the main source of income, churches started what were called Sunday schools. It was school on a Sunday. And the reason you started a school was to teach people to read. What did you want them to read? The Bible. And so the whole reason the public school system exists in the world is because the church wanted everybody to be able to read the Bible. The only reason you know how to read or balance your checkbook is because of the Bible. Some of you are like, I don't even trust this book. And I get that. What could a book 2,000 years old and 4,000 years old in some spots have to say about life in the 21st century? Why would I spend my time reading this? Let me just ask you a simple question that was first posed to me by a theologian named Karl Bart. He's dead now. I never met the dude, but I read his books. And so Karl Bart says this. Look. The world's changed a lot in 2,000 years since Jesus was here. Has it not? It's changed a bunch. You've got computers and iPhones and cars. He said, but think about this for a second. What has changed? Has human nature fundamentally changed in the 2,000 years since, God, since Jesus was here? Has God's nature fundamentally changed in the last 2,000 years? No, both of those things are the exact same. And so the fundamental questions are still the fundamental questions. Everything compared to the distinction between God and man, between salvation and damnation, everything else, the clothes we wear and the cars we drive is just wind addressing compared to the heart issues which don't change. So you can trust this book. And why do we need to trust this book? Because this book has always been the thing that changed people and changed the world. This has been the thing that the touchstone that we've come back to again and again. And God in His incredible providence made sure that it was written down and He in every generation translated it into the technology of the day. And so it started on stones and then was moved to papyrus and then from papyrus it was moved to parchment and from parchment it was moved onto uh, to what we call uh, codexes or biblias the word bible it just means book christians invented a book so that you could carry all of god's word around beforehand if before this you would have needed a yard trailer and a mule to carry all the scrolls around and they would have been hand copied and so christians have gotten this and why do we need it why all transformation all transformation will come only through being reformed to the gospel and the gospel will only come through the scriptures all transformation will come with our revival and dependence upon God's word and so let me just give you three ways to think about the Bible three ways to think about the Bible if you're like three ways is a lot and I know what time it is then in our tradition if a Sunday has a name like homecoming it both means there'll be six types of fried chicken and that the preacher can preach as long as he wants Uh because it's homecoming. Uh, So three ways to think about why we need scripture, why scripture is necessary, why we can rely on it and how we use it and think about it. I want three ways to reform the way we think about scripture. First is that the scripture is the spectacles through which we see. Scripture is the glasses, the corrective lenses that give us the ability to see the world rightly. The Bible says that apart from the scriptures, apart from God teaching us things, you and I are spiritually nearsighted at best and spiritually blind at worst. The Bible will say in Psalm 119 that the the word is a, a lamp unto my path and a light unto my feet. It's saying that I am walking around in the dark without a single light apart from God's word, that I am bumping into things, that at very best, given my natural capacities, I will only have the fuzziest outline of the world and who's in it and who I am and what I should do and what I should not do. I will have some sense of that. We call that some small sense conscience. But you do not want to walk around life without your glasses on. You do not want to live in a world without a sun. And you do not want to go through life without a light. For your soul and that is the scriptures the bible calls it the corrective lens or the, the john calvin one of the great reformers called it the corrective lenses for they teach us to see the world rightly Our culture is torn between two great narratives for what we need to know who God is and what a good life is consisted of. Um, In what's called modernity or modern thinking, uh, which still holds sway over much of our scholastic and academic world, uh, we say that the only thing you need for living a good life and for knowing God is reason and rationality, pure reason and the scientific method. The Enlightenment sold us the lie that pure reason is the metric by which we test all other truth claims. According to the Enlightenment, the problem with the world is unthinking, uncritical beliefs and traditions. And the cure is rational skepticism that says, I will only trust what can be proved mathematically. And that still holds sway in in the academy and and, in much of scholasticism. But in our general conversation, we have moved from modern thinking to what uh, philosophers will call uh, postmodern or late modern thinking. And what that is, is that says that desire alone Desire alone is what I need to know um, what a good life is and for knowing God. To follow your passions and your desires, what makes you feel good and don't let anybody get in the way. Your internal sense of self, whether it contradicts uh, with uh, with your anatomy or whether it contradicts with your family or whether it contradicts with society, your internal sense of self is the metric by which you test all other truth claims and you determine who you are and what you should live. And according to our society, the problem in the world is that you have restrictive, unthinking, intolerant, close-minded people who won't let you be who you are at your core, at your heart. The Bible says that neither your reason, your ability to think, nor your ability to feel, neither your rationality nor your passion is, will get you to God Because both of those things, your ability to think your way to God and your ability to feel your way to God are both you trying to get to God. And Christianity is not about you getting to God. You can't get to God. I cannot get to God. Christianity is about God getting to you. What you need for relationship with God and knowledge of the good life is not rationality or desire, but righteousness. And you and I ain't got it. And the only way to get it is through faith in Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that apart from faith, it is impossible to Please God. And so we come through faith and through God's word to understand how God made the world and who we are, who God is and who we are. And the truth is, friends, none of us would have ever made up the God in the Bible if we had thought for the next 600 millennia we could not get to the God of the Bible because it is one God in three persons. It is a God who is, not just, um, who is just and loving, who is merciful and righteous, a God who uh, loves sinners, the only God in the history of the world who loves sinners. It is a God who would sin Himself to die for those who've rejected him. It is a God far better than every we wanted, and yet we are far more broken than we ever realized. The problem is that we think we can think our way to God. But in the words of C. S. Lewis, which you've heard me quote before, if it is up to me to know God, if it is up for me to figure out who God is, I cannot do that any more than Hamlet can know Shakespeare. But Shakespeare the author can write Shakespeare the character into the play and introduce himself. That God can condescend and communicate in ways that we can understand, in ways that make sense to us, in human language. And so the God of the universe who created itself, who created, uh, not God didn't create it, God, God created the universe, Um, that God who created language actually takes on human language and speaks to us in the scriptures. He corrects us, he rebukes us. And if you are not being corrected or rebuked by the Bible, you are not reading it. You are simply looking at the Bible to affirm what you already believe. And you're not worshiping God, you are worshiping yourself. The Bible is not something I look at, and then look at the world. The Bible is something I look through to make sense of the world. And apart from it, I do not know who I am or where I'm going. Second way I want you to think about the Bible. Uh, second way I want you to think about the Bible is um, as a—it's a living, inactive book, and God is still speaking to us. Uh, I want you to think about it this way. I got this buddy who discipled me in college. His name is uh, Timmy Curlet. And Timmy has been called by God to be a special forces doctor. And he is one of the few doctors in the world who has uh, been through Ranger school and done all that crazy uh, training and done high altitude jazz and all that rascal stuff. And he's got a wife and two boys. And right before his uh, first boy was born, he knew he would be sent on deployment. And he was trying to get creative for how his son would know who he was. And granted, we have technology and all that. But um, imagine this is what they decided to do. They bought one of those crazy Hallmark books that like, records your voice reading the book. So you like, turn the page and it reads the book to you. And, and he recorded himself reading a book to his son. He recorded his voice reading this book to his son and so when his son opens these pages he hears his daddy's voice when he opens these pages and turns them he hears his dad's voice you know the cool part of that when his daddy calls him on the phone he knows his daddy's voice when his dad out of the blue calls and says hey it's your daddy he knows it's his dad's voice and when his dad gets back from deployment he recognizes his daddy's face because he knows his daddy's voice. Friends, there will be times in your life that are too complex that the Bible will not address specifically. Questions like, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should we buy this house? Should we have another child? And the Bible will not answer those things directly. The Bible's not gonna say, Andrew and Claire should have three and a half boys and they should be born on these dates. It's not in there. You couldn't find it. There's not a verse in there that says, you should marry Chachi. It's not there. And so how will you know God's will for you in those circumstances? How will you know God's will for you? How will you know if the voices in your head are God's voice or just voices? How would you know whether you should act or go to the psychiatrist? You will have learned God's word. You will have learned God's voice through this book because God has recorded his own voice in a book and given it to you. God will never contradict his word. When he gives you direction, it will always line up with the principles and the revelation he has made known in this book. And if you spend time in these, wor- in this word, you will know God's voice when he says, yeah, marry that one, or don't go that way, or you are gonna kill yourself if you keep going this hard, or that is sin in your life, and I wanna fix it. You will learn God's word. You will learn God's voice first in the Bible, And then you will know it in experience. God has left you a book with his voice recorded. Third thing. Third thing. What am I telling you? Oh, I remember. Never mind. I brought you props. The last one, I want you to think of it like this. This is my treasure box. This lives on my dresser. Every day, it lives on my dresser. I walk by it to get to my, um, go to the bathroom. I I walk by it to get dressed in the morning. This is my treasure box. Uh, Claire gave me this, and inside of it is treasure. None of it's gold or silver. It's small pieces of paper that say things like, I love how you tuck me in to sleep at night. It says, um, that one says, welcome home, and it was a note she wrote me. I love using our story as a testimony to God's love and his purpose for marriage. These are small notes my wife has written me to remind me of our story, to remind me how she feels about me and who I am in her eyes. This is my treasure box. This is what I go to when I am lost, when I don't know what's going on in our relationship or where we're going or how we got here or where we're going next. God's word is similar to this treasure box. And maybe the way I can explain it to you is this. You were born into the middle of your own story. You were born into the middle of your story. And the Bible is the story of God and his love for us. Anybody ever seen the movie 50 First Dates, Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore? Like don't, you can, it's okay. If you hadn't seen it, then you're robbing yourself of that. Um, it's probably rated PG-13. I'm sure there's some really misogynist jokes in there and some curse words. But in this movie, Drew Barrymore has had a traumatic brain injury, and she has lost the ability to make new memories. She cannot make new memories. And so every day is the day after her traumatic brain injury for her. She can't remember who anybody is. She can't remember uh, what she is or where she's going. And in the movie, she meets Adam Sandler, who plays a character named Henry. Henry falls in love with this woman. And, every sing- and, and, and in the beginning, it's really traumatic because every day she is scared to death of this man who shows up in her life. She fights against him. She beats him up with a golf club at one point. Like she fights back against him and he is there trying to love her and woo her. And finally, in the middle of the movie, he has this genius idea and he makes her a video that explains her life every morning. It says, this is who you are. This is who we are. We are for you. We love you. You have an illness that makes you cannot create new memories and you cannot remember who anybody is. But you are surrounded by people who love you. And I'm the one who loves you most. And every morning she wakes up and she watches this video. She plugs it into her VCR and she remembers, okay, this is me. I have an illness. But there are people who love me and they are working for my good and I can trust these people. I can trust this man. He loves me. And later in the movie, they're together and she's just trying to figure it out and this other couple walks up and they're an older elderly couple and they walk up and the woman asks the man, Henry, So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. I'll just read you the quote. It says, let me get this straight. Every day, you help her realize what happened and you wait patiently for her to be okay with it and then you get her to fall in love with you again. Every day, you tell her what happened and you wait patiently for her to be okay and then you get her to fall in love with you again. And Henry says, yeah. That's our life. And the woman turns and punches her husband in the shoulder and says, you don't even open the door anymore. (laughs) Friends, you know what this book is? This is the video that God has left you to tell you who you are and who he is. And apart from this book, you will constantly be fighting against God because you are suffering from spiritual amnesia. You are suffering from the fear of people around you. And so you will fight against people through simple ways and huge ways, from things as small as a lie to things as big as a fist fight. And you will fight against your your spouse. You will fight against your kids. You will fight against your boss because you have suffered spiritual amnesia and you do not know who you are or what is wrong with you but what is wrong with you is sin and you have spiritual amnesia and God has left you a record that you should open up and remember every morning okay this is who I am this is what's wrong with me this is who loves me because the God of the Bible every single day comes to us and he tells us what's wrong with us And then he waits for us to be okay with that and to come to him. And then he woos us again with his love that says, my love is stronger than death. My love is for you. I am always with you. You go nowhere alone. Where you are, I brought you here. You woke up here because we went to bed here together. You are my child. You are the apple of my eye, the desire of my heart. You are my greatest treasure in the entire universe. And I have given myself to you and covenant love. So what do we do with this? How do we learn this? Those ideas may move your heart, but you got to do something. First step, go buy a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. i got one right here. I'll give you a Bible. And then get a reading plan. Figure out how to read it. There's one on the back of your bulletin. I make it every week for you to learn how to read this book. God wants to know you more than you want to be known. More than you want to study His Word, He wants to talk to you. If you don't like that one, you can Google, you can go on Amazon and buy the blue book. This is the first devotional book I ever read and it changed my life. And then start writing your story. Start writing your story. This is my journal. I go through one of these about every month. This morning, Jack wrote this for me. Um, In this is a record of my prayers to God and God's answers to my prayers. Every morning, well, really not every morning, probably five days a week, I sit down and tell myself again who I am, who God says I am, that I am beloved, that I am a child of the covenant, that I have been bought at a price, that I am pure and spotless and blameless, that God is using me to make disciples, not because I'm good enough, but because He is. Not because I saved myself, but because I'm a sinner saved by grace. Friends, God is, longs for you to come home and he's written you an invitation in his word you can respond to it right now let's pray Jesus we submit to your word that says we are lost but you have come to find us that you have not just left a, a trail of breadcrumbs. You have not just left pages in a book, but you have sent your very Son and you have added your Holy Spirit to speak to us and talk to us. And I, I have to believe in my soul that this morning you are convicting and, and convincing. You are wooing. You are calling men and women to yourself that they are realizing again your incredible love. The, the kind of love they desired and they wept for as they watched 51st Dates or the notebook pales in comparison to your great love your love which goes before and behind which loved us and chose us before we were born your love which saved us your love which died for us and if that's you this morning and you want to say yes to god's love in the same way that you would say yes to a marital invitation or a proposal you can do that right now with a simple prayer as easy as abc a admit you've been running from god the bible calls this sin B, believe Jesus loved you enough to die for you and to pay the penalty for all your sins and to make you whole and clean. And C, commit to following him for the rest of your life, better or worse, richer or poor. You can do that with a simple prayer just like this. God, I realize now I've been fighting against you and running from you my whole life. But I see for the first time, your incredible love for me that you would die on a cross, that you would take my place, that you would save me and you would bring me home. And so I want to come home. I trust you, Jesus, to reconnect me with God. You can have my life. Amen. Friends, I ain't selling any indulgences, but we do pay electric bills and we're trying to pay off this mortgage. And so not because you have to give, but because you get to give. Because God has saved you by grace, I invite you to worship God with your tithes and offerings and to invite you to continue to fill out uh, a planned giving card which helps us set our ministry priorities for next year. Those are in the pews with you. Come, let us worship God. You may be seated.
1: Yes, you may be seated, sorry. <laughs> do, do we have any prayer requests today?
0: Gloria Barnes. Yeah. Gloria
1: Barnes. There's
2: too many papers up
1: here. Any more? Stancil Stancil family. Bradley Tudor Brantley, Brantley Tudor Dexter Barbie and, Dixter, Barbie and family Sherry Stanley, Sherry Stanley. Swain, divisions, divisions between families, and what?
2: Dissolve,
1: dissolve vision, divisions in family. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, Father, and Holy Spirit, it is right and good to give you praise everywhere and in every circumstance, for you are faithful and sufficient. You reign in heaven above all, and yet you look upon the lowly. You are eternal, and yet you, Jesus, were born of the Holy Spirit in time to save us from our sins and bring us into communion with God. As God, you are all-powerful and perfectly just and yet you humbly and obediently submitted to an unfair death on a cross to rescue and redeem your bride, the church. We praise you because you are trustworthy. You are worthy of our faith. With these things in mind, we present to you your tithes and our offerings. Take them and use them to transform us, our community, and the world. We give to you as a way of declaring that all who worship idols are fools, but those who seek first your kingdom and its righteousness find that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are faithful to provide for every need. This money is a sign that we trust you. Father of all comfort and God of all compassion, we pray that you might comfort those who are sick in mind, body, and spirit. We pray especially for Gloria Barnes, the Stancil family, Brantley Tudor, Sherry Stanley, Dexter Barbian family, Samuel McSwain, and to dissolve dis- divisions in families. We ask you to heal those on our prayer list, and that news of your power and love might win hearts. We pray for the vulnerable and endangered around the world. We ask your protection and provisions for refugees, civilians in war-torn lands, victims of abuse, the hungry and thirsty and imprisoned. We ask that you would provide for them by your body, the church. In your divine sovereignty and mercy, provide good governance around the world and here at home, in our country, state, and local government. We pray for peace among the nations and courage and wisdom for all leaders. Finally, Jesus, use us at Oakland and your church everywhere to be salt and light in the world. Would our lives make you famous? Use Oakland as a lighthouse for lost souls, a hospital for broken people, and an incubator for leaders who will change the world. We are bold to pray all this because of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Song.